what's up? How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Oh, man. I love that. I feel inspired now after watching that video. Um, my name is Jody Hickerson. If we have, if we never met, or maybe you haven't been around the crossing when I've been here before, um, I say this every time that I show up at the crossing to teach. It is an honor for me to be here today. I mean that every single time. Our family, um, our personal family, and our church family that's in um, Ventura, California, Mission Church, we just consider the crossing like extended family um, and not the weird extended family that you don't want to hang out with, like the cool extended family that you love to come hang out with. And so that's how I feel about you. We love you guys so much. We pray for you often. We thank God for you. Um, so I just love getting to be here. Thank you for having me. I have the privilege of continuing um, through this series where we're looking at the book of Hebrews called Goat, right? Talking about Jesus being the greatest of all time. And the whole theme of this series, as I've been tracking along, has been Jesus is greater, don't give up. Shane talked last week about how we can have this hope, like a real hope that we can anchor our souls to. And man, don't we need an anchor for our lives? And I believe with all of my heart, this is just my personal story, that Jesus is the greatest. It is where I am anchoring my life. My past, my present, my future, my eternity is depending on Jesus being who he said he was and doing all that he promised to do. And I get it if you're here today and you don't believe all that about Jesus or you don't even know what you think about Jesus. Here's just what we want to say to you. Welcome. And Jesus established the church um, to be a safe place where there's no bouncers at the door. Right? There's no velvet rope saying, hey, these are the people that are in and here are the people that don't have access. No, this church, even though I know the church in general, you know, doesn't always get this right. I do know this about this church and the people of this church and the leadership of this church. This church says, welcome. I mean, the doors of this place open for you this morning. Welcome. Come as you are. You're invited in. I hope that you feel loved here. Hope that you see that you can belong here, cared for here. And that you could bump into Jesus. That, that you would have a personal encounter of your own with Jesus and watch how he could change your life. I believe that because it's happened to me. I believe that because it's available to every single one of us that through Jesus Christ, there really is hope for everyone. But even if you don't know Jesus personally or had that kind of encounter with Jesus or you don't know what you think about Jesus, it is hard to deny that he is not the greatest of all time. And when you got up this morning, it was March 24th, 2019. 2019 years from what? The birth of this man named Jesus. You can't turn on your iPhone. You can't boot up a computer. You can't look at a newspaper if there are people that still do that. You can't look at a calendar without being reminded of who this man is. Where I live in California is about seven hours south of San Francisco. Why is there a city named San Francisco? Because there was a guy named Francis of Assisi whose life was changed by the person of Jesus. We live five hours south of San Jose. Why is there a San Jose? Because there was a guy named Joseph whose life was changed by a person named Jesus. The capital of our state where I live, Sacramento. Why is there a Sacramento? Because one day Jesus had a meal with his closest followers and he took some bread and he took some juice. And he said, when you do this, remember me. And they called it a sacrament. 
I live in Ventura, named after St. Bonaventure, a 13th century Franciscan saint whose life was changed by a man named Jesus. You cannot look at a map and not be reminded of this man. I know there's the whole LeBron-Jordan debate, okay? But if you had to choose one person who's had the greatest impact in all of history since the beginning of time, touching every continent, every culture, every language, there is only one name, and what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. I mean, the impact of this man... His life is so great that his birthday is still the most widely celebrated birthday in the world. There will be traffic jams in downtown Summerlin starting in late November because of this man's birth 2,019 years later. The instrument on which he died, the cross, is the most recognizable symbol in the world. I mean, if we were just to kind of forget about religion for a moment and what you think about all that, all we have to do is look at him as a man who walked this planet like billions of others have. And just look at the impact he had on this world. I think we'd be astonished. It's overwhelming. Like we don't recognize how different our world would be had Jesus never been born. And it would be hard to choose a less likely figure to impact the world in this way. He was born in a barn. No political power. His followers were a dozen ordinary uneducated guys. He never led military action. He didn't have a social media platform. He never wrote a book. He never held a press conference. And yet 2019 years later, it is virtually impossible to imagine our world without him. I mean, I could talk about the church, which is historically the most influential movement in history. No Jesus, no Notre Dame, no St. Paul's Cathedral, no Martin Luther, no Martin Luther King, no Mother Teresa. I could talk about art, no Jesus, no Sixteen Chapel, no Da Vinci's Last Supper. I could talk about literature and the impact, the, the stats are crazy. Education, universities, music, human rights, the 12 steps all originated with followers of Jesus. That when you talk about or think about organizations like, you know, YMCA, World Vision, Red Cross, Salvation Army. When you visit hospitals like St. Jude, Good Samaritan, St. Anthony, you are speaking of the movement of Jesus. He is the GOAT. There's never been a man that lived this kind of life. There's never been a death like this man's death. There's never been a love like this man's love. There's never been a hope like this man's hope. And there's no way we could even scratch the surface of how our entire world would be different had Jesus never been born. And more than that, he came for you. More than that, his eye is fixed on you. More than that, he is pursuing you. You may not even know why you showed up this morning. God knows. More than that, he has an invitation addressed to you, and his plan of rescue had you in mind. It's why he came. And not only does God want to rescue us and save us, that's the good news, but he also offers us a new way. That's what we're going to talk about today. Anybody need a new way? Feel stuck? Anybody need a new way to do life? A new perspective, a new path, a new direction, a new promise to hold on to? Because you see, what we've talked about in this series is that Hebrews was written to some people that were trying to hang on to the old. They were just really wanting to hang on to old ways, go back to old ways, old rules to be in relationship with God, old rituals, even though Jesus said, I took care of all that. I tore all that down. That's the old way, and I'm inviting you into something new. We've learned throughout this series a little bit about what it means for Jesus 
to now be our high priest. That there was a time before Jesus came when God's spirit would work through a select group of individuals called priests. And these Old Testament priests would serve as mediators between God and the people because ordinary people did not have access to God. So these priests, they would go through all the cleansings and the ceremonies and the tabernacle. Everything had to be so perfect. And they would come before God on the behalf of themselves. They would offer sacrifices. And on behalf of all the people who have been carrying their sin and, and guilt and shame all year. And offer sacrifices on behalf of the people in order to be made right with God again. This was the way. This was the practice. This was the religion. This was the ritual for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And the writer of Hebrews says over and over and over again, this is the old way. There is something greater. There is something new. Starts in chapter 8 by saying, here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. He ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too, which he did himself. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since they already have priests who are offering these gifts required by law. That he's overcome. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. It seems like as we get to this point in Hebrews, um, this chapter 8, that the writer of Hebrews, whoever he is, whoever she is, is kind of going, I, I want to yell this out now. Here is the main point. You all want to go back to the old you want to go back to the old ways of connecting with God and offering sacrifices and keeping the additional 636 Jewish laws and make, through, make sure that everything is perfect in the tabernacle and find a priest that will go through the cleansing on your behalf and mediate on your behalf and carry your guilt and shame and sin all year long. Guys, this is not real. This is the old way. That, all that system was a shadow of what was to come. And now it's over. It's a copy. It's an imitation of the real thing. You ever settle for an imitation? I did when I bought this jacket. It is not real leather. Um, but you ever settle for an imitation? Like these days you're kind of choosing Splenda over sugar. Or you try to convince people you really do like frozen yogurt better than ice cream. No, you don't. You don't. That is not true. Decaf coffee? What is the point? I have no idea, you people that drink decaf coffee. Um, but you ever settle for religion over a relationship with God? Reminds me of this parody video I saw for Apple products a while back. And how, just how easily we can be tricked into like a fake new. Uh, check this out. First came the iPod. Then a slightly thinner iPod. Then a tinier iPod. Then a taller, thinner iPod. Then a taller, thinner iPod that shuffles your songs. Then a pink one, a blue one, a green one. Then an even smaller iPod. Then a wider iPod. Then an iPod you can touch. Then an iPod you can talk on. Then an iPod you can talk on with a G on it. Then a shorter, fatter iPod. Then a shorter, fatter iPod that shuffles. Then a thinner iPod you can talk on with a four on it. Then a gigantic iPod you cannot talk on. Then a gigantic iPod you cannot talk on that's a little faster. Then a white one. White. Then a thinner, taller iPod you can talk on. And now a bigger but not gigantic iPod you cannot talk on. We're Apple and you're suckers. Don't forget to buy a new charger. Right? 
uh, I love that last part. Don't forget to buy your charger, right? Isn't that how it is? But the writer of Hebrews is not talking about that kind of new. Like, don't get tricked into that kind of new. Jesus didn't come to bring a few tweaks to the system. He came to overturn it. Jesus is not a slight upgrade. No, Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. It's a new day. And it's a better day. And it's far superior. It is greater. Our relationship with God is no longer about striving, about earning, about perfecting, about rule keeping, about guilt or achievement. There is no longer separation where you don't have access, direct access to God. All of that is over. Like for those of us that grew up in the 90s, you remember going to the arcade and how we would play a game? Um, and then when the game was over, we would just keep playing it. I don't even know why. Why did we do this? We would just pretend to be playing the game like we're still shooting the, the guns and doing all the things. Even though the screen is flashing, game over, game over, game over. This writer of Hebrews is trying to say, hey, it's finished. It is all over. You can stop playing the game. Jesus is greater than any system. That when he died and rose again, it was game over. Over. Now he is seated at the right hand of God, giving us all an all-access pass into a real relationship, not just religious rituals. And when God speaks of new, it means that he made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date. It will soon disappear. Listen, this is good news for us. This is the best news for us. But sometimes when we read through, like, you know, Hebrews chapter 8, and we're thinking about the people that were living and the people that this was written to, we think, why didn't they get it? I mean, why did they want to keep going back to these old religious ways when it was a new day and there was so much freedom in Christ and now there was access to God? But when I read it, I also see myself. I think that sometimes while we may not want to go back to a system where there's priests and tabernacles and sacrifices and the Jewish law, I think that sometimes we too feel stuck and we don't know how to be new. We don't know how to live a new way. We don't know how to really change. And so we start settling for the imitation. We start making it about religious ritual instead of real relationship. We start striving again. We start earning again. We start the to-do list again, the checklist again. Listen, I know that I've been there. And if that's you, and if it has felt exhausting, you need to know today Jesus is greater. Don't give up. There is a new way. So I want to just take the rest of our time today to talk about how we can have hope, not only for our eternity, but hope that we could change. Hope that we could grow. Hope that we could transform. That we could become the men and women God created us to be without going back to the old ways and trading a relationship for religion. And the first thing is this. Becoming new, living a new way, is about transformation, not behavior modification. Dallas Willard said this. Spirituality, wrongly understood or pursued, is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. Isn't that true? Like that's what happens when we think, well, I guess this is just about like trying to be a really good person. I guess this is about trying to measure up to what's in the Bible, to follow all the rules in the Bible exactly. 
I guess the Bible is just like a great big, you know, rule book. Or maybe it's about trying to do more good things than bad things so that the good can outweigh the bad. Or maybe it's just don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. I don't know, you know, but I, I, I just feel like I've got this list of things that I need to modify in my life. And it's, we focus on behavior modification. Don't do this and don't do that. Do a little more of this. And when we think about that thing that we're going like, hey, I can't do that anymore. We're just going, don't do that thing. Do not do that thing. I don't do that thing. What are we thinking about? That thing, right? When God is saying, I don't want you focused on that thing. I want you focused on me. I've given you all access. I want to do something that's not behavior modification. It's transformation. It comes from the inside out. Let me work on the inside of you, and then we won't have to deal with that thing. It's a shift from the external and trying to control our behavior, you know, and making our list to the internal of opening ourselves up with, to God and saying, you've got access to me too. Begin to change me from the inside out. If we don't, if we just make it all about the external and the things that we do instead of the internals, we end up either giving up because it's just too hard to do it all right, or we get really good at faking it instead of really changing. When you think about a butterfly, I don't know if you've had butterflies around here. They have come through California. It's just like in traffic, like all these butterflies that are migrating, and they're beautiful. But you think about their process of transformation, it's actually where we get our word transformation, metamorpho, the Hebrew um, word there for transformation. You think about a little caterpillar that goes out on a branch, and they're like, hey, I'm ready to change. I'm ready to transform. And they're just going, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can, right? It doesn't work that way. The, the caterpillar has to surrender to an internal process of transformation. It is an inside thing, not an outside thing. To become new. This becoming new is also about progress, not perfection. There was so many little details in the Old Testament on how to be made right with God. Down to exactly where the lamps would be placed in the tabernacle. Everything was perfect. But I've heard it said here more than once. No perfect people allowed, right? And that's because we're all in progress. We're on a journey. No one is perfect. Because we don't experience life change one time in our lives and then we're good. Like, hey, well now I'll never screw up, right? We don't become sinless. The hope is that we would sin less as we follow Jesus and we open ourselves up to what he wants to do in us. We don't just change one time. We should always be changing, always be transforming, always seeing God do something new in us. It's about becoming, not about performing. So listen, don't get discouraged along the way. So often we're just grading ourselves. We all fail. We all mess up. But that doesn't mean that we haven't made some progress. In the, in the verse where Jesus says, here's what I've come to give you. I've come to give you life and life to the full, something new, a new way. He also says, but you're going to have an enemy in this world that comes to steal and kill and destroy. And I believe one of the areas he does this is right here. Because we start to make some progress. We start to really change and we start to live a new way. And then one day we lose it. We blow up at our spouse. We mess up. We go back to that old habit. We, we just fail. And our enemy comes and says, see, you can't do it. See, I knew you couldn't. you got to start at square one now. I bet, you can, I bet you can't do it. It's too hard. And he tries to convince us that we haven't made any progress when that's not true. We can get up from where we've fallen. 
and we can take another step. It does not discount the progress that we've made. We've made progress. Don't let the enemy convince you that you haven't covered any ground. You know that saying, two steps forward, one step back? Well, at least we're still one step forward, right? And we're heading in the right direction and you can take the next step. It does not negate the ground that we've covered. So celebrate your victories along the way. Instead of being someone that grades yourself based on perfection, be someone that celebrates your victories in progress. When you lay your head on the pillow at night and you think, I don't think I yelled at the kid today. That's new. That's something new God did in me. I didn't flip anybody off in traffic. That's new. You know, maybe you hit a new milestone in your recovery. Take the cake. Man, celebrate. You start to see things that are new produced in your life like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You're like, that's new. God's doing something new and it's about progress, not perfection. This journey is also grace-driven, not guilt-driven. Becoming new, really living a new way. Real change and transformation and our growth in becoming the people that God created us to be does not respond well to guilt, period. Now, God can use guilt in our lives, kind of like, you know, the check engine light on the dashboard. You know, when we're, we're just like, hey, whoa, that didn't feel right. You're crossing a line there. God can use guilt in that way. But listen to me. In our process of becoming new people, when God says you have access to me, he is not guilting us into being better. That's where we take all of, the, all of the guilt and the shame and the ways that we don't measure up and we carry it around and we just feel guilty. And God's going, hey, through Jesus Christ, I already paid for all that. Well, I don't know why you're carrying all that. And so many of us give up on this process of becoming new because we just hate the feeling of feeling guilty all the time. We viewed God as like a judge, that he's guilt-driven instead of grace-driven. And so maybe for a while we even stop showing up at church because every time we leave we just feel guilty. Listen, God is not trying to guilt you into becoming a better person. He wants to extend his grace to you because he's for you. And he knows you're going to need his grace along the way. He loves us and he knows that we're going to need him. In fact, there's this little equation that um, describes like how I've experienced change in my life or something new in my life, what I've seen God do in other people's lives as they become new, and it all starts with grace. The first part of the equation, the first ingredient necessary, if we're going to experience change, if we're going to get unstuck, is that we have to believe we have a God that's for us. We have to believe that there is something far better, far superior than just keeping all the rules, but that God gave us access to himself through Jesus Christ because he's for us. Grace is the uninterrupted, unbroken, unearned, accepting relationship that we have with God now. And we didn't earn it. We got it through Jesus Christ. And so grace allows us to come as we are, just as we are, without hiding anything, without performing for anything, without a list of our accomplishments, but just as we are into to a God who knows everything about us and loves us anyway. We don't have to be afraid he's a good father. And we've got Jesus as our high priest mediating on our behalf. This is grace upon grace upon grace. And we're going to need this grace on this journey. We can have the like expectant hope that Shane talked about last week. That our God is willing and able to fulfill his promises. And one of his promises to us is that his grace will be sufficient for us. That his grace will be enough for whatever we're going through. 
in every day, in every weakness, in every fail, in every situation. We can't outrun God's grace, and he does not run out. So we must rely on his grace because he promised to give us just what we need. Are you returning to the grace of God every day? Becoming new also involves truth. Because sometimes grace without truth leaves us falling back into our old way or the old stuff that just requires more and more grace. And let me be clear, you know, it's not that God like runs out of grace. He has no limit. It's just that we, if we want to live a new way, need a new direction. And we need new guidance. And we need help to not go back to the same old patterns that we're used to. And God's truth gives us new direction, gives us guidance, gives us guardrails, gives us wisdom, allows us to see what's real, what's not real, what's, what's authentic, and what's the imitation. And that begins to change us from the inside out. It's in his truth that we learn how to treat the least of these, how to throw a real party how to avoid temptation, how to be on guard, how to love our neighbor, how to speak the truth in love, how to forgive, how to rejoice in our sufferings, how to pray, how to find intimacy with God, how to find strength, how to worship, how to find wisdom, how to have mercy, how to encourage, how to get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control to flow through our lives. You see, the Bible is not a rule book. It is a new way to life. And it is a better way to life. And it is not a weapon to be used against us, but the perfect law that leads to freedom because God wants us to live free. Now, if we just had the truth without any grace, that would be kind of brutal because the truth would just show us how we're not measuring up. But when we've got grace and we've got truth together, we start to see something new happen. Because grace invites the real me, you know, warts and all, all my problems, all my deals, you know, everything into this all-access relationship to God where I can be fully known and fully loved just as I am free from condemnation. And when the one who offers grace also offers his truth about who I am and who he is and what this world is all about, then you put those things together, that is a game changer. The Bible describes Jesus when he walked this planet as being full of grace and truth. And we're going to need both along the way if we're going to become new people. But here's the last part of the equation that I want to throw out to you today. It's grace plus truth plus time. Transformation, becoming new. The kind we're talking about, not the faking it, not the checklist. Not behavior modification, but really becoming new. It takes time. And I know that that is crazy talk. Because we are so used to instantaneous, aren't we? We can microwave our meals, you know, in three minutes and 30 seconds. We can upload our day, you know, see what everybody's done in just a minute. We can buy, like, those electronic ab belts and we can hook ourselves up and we can get a six-pack in, like, six weeks. Everything is instantaneous. You know, because of this right here, I can find out anything instantaneously. I can watch my favorite show, check you know, the stocks. I could check March Madness scores. I can do anything I want just like that. We're so used to instantaneous. I mean, if I'm at a stoplight and it's like longer than 40 seconds, I'm like out loud talking to the kids in the back like, this is ridiculous. This light must not be on a timer. You know, I'm scooting up. I'm coming back. You know, I'm just so impatient. I want things now. And words like consistency and steadfastness, 
They're pretty foreign to us. We want the payoff without the process. We want the results without the requirements. We want the end without the endurance. We want the role without the route. We want the destination without the journey. But I'm here to tell you today, the journey is worth it. Jesus is greater, don't give up. Jesus compares us to, to like a branch on a, on a tree that if we remain in him, if we stay connected to him, there will be fruit in our lives. There'll be new things. We'll start to be new people. We'll see amazing transformation. But listen to me, that does not happen overnight. It is a process of consistently relying on God's grace every single day and then applying God's truth time and time again, and then we see something begin to sprout. Jesus is greater. Don't give up. And I believe with all my heart that God wants to do something in us that is way more powerful than the imitation, than the religious way, than the rituals. I believe he wants to do something more powerful in us than, you know, microwave mac and cheese or electronic six-packs. You know, I believe he really wants to do something epic like how the Grand Canyon has been shaped by the Colorado River running through it. But that's been going on for a long time. Or how a waterfall will, over time, begin to pour over the edge at Yosemite, and we see its beauty and we're just astonished. The majestic forest filled with sequoias, and we're in awe that God has done this, but they've been growing there a long time. Let God do his work in you. Let God do his new thing in you. Not behavior modification, not perfection, not guilt-driven, but something new and something real because you have all access to God now through Jesus Christ our high priest. And I believe if we would begin this process of becoming new and we would just continue to become new people, God would do something epic over time. He would make us people that are deep in a shallow world, constant in a changing world, compassionate in a cynical world, confident in a fearful world, patient in an instant world. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. It's begun. It's beginning. It's a journey. Now, there are some things that are pretty instantaneous when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ. We become a new person. We get made new. We get set free immediately from the law, from the punishment of sin. Our eternal destination is secured. But now we get to begin a new life with a new master and a new identity and a new direction and a new way and it looks a lot like grace plus truth plus time. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your grace that you have promised will always be sufficient for us in every weakness. God, thank you for that. Thank you that we can turn to you and not be afraid that you are condemning us or judging us, but because of Jesus, our high priest, we know we can come to you and receive grace every day along this journey. I thank you, God, for your truth that you just didn't 
leave us here to figure it out and hope that we would find a good direction in life, but you've given us, God, your loving, loving truth that leads us to freedom and to life. And I thank you, God, for what you do in our hearts and our lives over time. That you don't give up on us, that you continue to walk with us. And God, I pray we would continually surrender ourselves to you and watch you do something epic. In Jesus' name, amen.